You are listening to the San Antonio Zen Center Dharma Talks. The San Antonio Zen Center is supported solely by donation, so that everyone can participate in our offerings and programs, regardless of income. If you are able, please consider making a donation to SAZC through the donation button on our site, sanantoniozen.org, or by visiting paypal.me slash sanantoniozen. Thank you for your practice and enjoy the talk. four bodhisattva vows uh, with me, uh, and then keep them in mind um, lightly for the duration of the talk. So if we could, you, and if you don't know it, it's all right. Beings are numberless, I vow to save them, delusions are inexhaustible. said as he rode the bus back to Anna. Yet he felt immense peace. As the small houses and neighborhood Chinese restaurants on every block caught the evening light, the scent of wok-stirred garlic and ginger blew through the open windows. He rested in the cleansed, bright aftermath of the day, more at peace than it had been in years. He had felt that way after seeing Lily Ha ever since he was a child no matter how annoying she could be. But all too soon the thoughts she had interrupted in the Pantheon returned. He was a Zen monk now. He was fooling nobody. He wasn't fit to be a monk, any more than he had been fit to be a doctor or a husband. Now the bus started and stopped in loud, grinding fits. The sun hurt his eyes even through his sunglasses. He felt old. And stupid. And the fact that he'd left his bread and shoyu at the woman's house was proof of his innate, habitual irresponsibility. His familiar desolation returned. Meaning could drop out of life with frightening ease, leaving just the dead frame. Those glimmers of wide understanding, those ten shows he clung to, even though, of course, one was not supposed to would never blossom into enlightenment for him. When he returned to the Zendo, he walked the stepping stone path through the carefully raked sea of sand, considering how best to tell Roshi that he was quitting. It wouldn't be the first time. As he entered the inner compound, he stopped. Roshi was speaking to creatures with wings, not thankfully angels, Instead, they were slim, almost emaciated, and slightly blue, 
They wore no clothes, but it did not seem as if they had skin. Rather, it might have been the shortest imaginable fur or the sleekness of an alligator. Kyo's breath quickened. He knew Roshi was aware of him, though Roshi did not so much as flick a glance in his direction. Roshi gashoed low. The creature gashoed as well, then kneeled on long, slim limbs and touched forehead to ground. He, or she, rose, bowed, and walked around the corner. Roshi, Kyo screamed, as the old man prepared to walk away. Roshi turned. You will say nothing, he commanded. And within half an hour before Kyo had time to consider whether to say nothing or not, much less to whom, he and the other monks were ushered onto a luminous ship hovering behind the zendo. How had it gotten here? It must have just appeared. His doctor's mind, which surfaced so rarely now, had only seconds to consider the scientific implications. He shouted at everyone, Roshi, the creatures, the other monks. Then, with a flip of mind, became silent. Why not? What did he have to lose? Getting upset was almost laughable. The creatures settled them on couches and prepared them for the journey with simple, gentle gestures. Then he knew nothing save for his brief memory until the group of monks woke alone in their new little colony. How much later was it? Earth was a cinder, Roshi said. Time was no longer a thing they could comprehend, and they had only themselves. The monks, eyes downcast, hands clasped, walked with slow, measured steps in ritual keen Now the light was dim, but soon it would sear the bleak landscape. Kyo reached his cushion and sat. One, he counted. One. The disturbing creatures were there in his thoughts once more, creatures with wings. Their elongated bodies were delicate. Two sets of opposing digits were on each hand. One was a sharp yet supremely flexible set, which could reach inside delicate machinery and set it to rights. The other set, shorter and three-jointed, was suitable for most other tasks. Kyo concentrated on one isolated image. He had wakened briefly to those fingers touching his face, to eyes which did not look directly at him, but were instead concentrated on a task which sounded metallic to his sleep-drenched brain. Perhaps the mechanism which kept him alive during the journey, which must have taken several lifetimes, had needed some adjustment. That impression was surrounded by darkness. It was all he had. His thoughts jumped to his fellow monks. Geckos, insects. Couldn't they see how everything had changed? Didn't they care? Whack! Roshi hit him on the back. He straightened. One. One. Um, this is a book that uh, John and Ronnie um, gave me some years ago. I, uh, I can't remember if it was because I expressed an interest in cyberpunk and science fiction, or if it was in reciprocity for um, a book called uh, Zen Environment that I had lent them on one of their California dreaming trips. Um, and I don't know if they ever had any idea or anticipation 
of how moved I would be by that story, which I'll come back to in a bit. Um, it's by Kathleen Ann um, Gunan, and it's called, as you might have already guessed, Creatures with Wings. What and how that story, as we'll come back to, so affected me was to find um, such palpable suffering uh, present in the protagonist, Kyo, and also uh, to find him struggling through that suffering, through this practice with the Sangha, and um, shall we say, extraordinary circumstances. But that, um, regardless of the beings that um, he was with, the idea of um, saving all beings persevered. And so the other presence that, that was in the story, um, and I hope you got a taste of it, was in um, the depth of his suffering, uh, which I also um, brought to this endo, to not this endo, but to this San Antonio Zen Center and the Sangha here um, about 11 years ago. So um, I use that as an introduction and as a closing um, in this talk about um, from Living by Val by Shohaku Okumura uh, about the Bodhisattva vows. Shakyamuni sat alone under the Bodhi tree and was enlightened. He saw that beings suffer in samsara, in the six realms of the world. The realms that when I've heard them before, I always felt some lack of identity with. They were in future lives, reincarnations, as it's practiced. Um, they were theoretical. I never, until I started preparing for this talk and re reading um, the first chapter in Living by Vow on the Bodhisattva vows, um, fully came to understand that these realms are within, these realms were within me on a daily basis. That, that the realm of hell, um, rarely a day goes by where I don't experience something of that. This idea that when people live together, we make each other suffer. Or the realm of the hungry ghosts, beings consumed by unsatisfied craving, how often does that come up in my life? Or the realm of animals. I was talking to my cat this morning about that while I was practicing this talk. And she was simply impatient for me to come down from the loft and feed her. Why was I taking so long? Happy when fed and content to sleep the realm of asuras, fighting spirits, always 
struggling for justice, endlessly struggling. And then uh, us, I guess, human beings. We seek fame, profit, or we worry about it even if we don't. And the sixth realm, heavenly heavenly beings. I kind of thought about those with regards to these creatures with wings. Where their desires have been met, they need nothing, but still they're not happy. So what the Buddha did with that as he contemplated the causes of these forms of suffering and tried to find their root cause. The way our lives, the way Kyo's life, the way my life became suffering and how we could be liberated from that suffering. He searched for the ultimate cause and found, as we chanted earlier, ignorance and delusive desires based on our ignorance. That's what I spent at least the first five years of my practice trying to see. Talks about when we can clearly see our ignorance, it disappears. And we reference that again in a minute. And when that ignorance disappears, this is called enlightenment. I've heard of it, nirvana. And what the what Shakyamuni experienced under that Bodhi tree. So the Buddha's determination to start teaching to take this message to others over the 45 years left of his life was the origin of the vow in Buddhism. A life led by vow is a life animated or inspired by vow. Not one that is watched, scolded, or consoled by vow. The simple phrase, living by vow, emphasizes that the person and the vow are one. Our life is itself a vow. So, Okamura, um, as he's practicing in Minnesota, in the temple that Katagiri Roshi founded and named Ganshoji, Temple Born of Val, um, wrote this following poem, and I'm going to do an extended read from it. It's called Peaceful Life. And it goes, being told that it's impossible, one believes in despair. Is that so? Being told that it is possible, one believes in excitement. That's right. But whichever is chosen, it does not fit one's heart neatly 
There are four stanzas, and they respond not only to the Bodhisattva vows, but also to the Four Noble Truths. Being asked what is unfitting, I don't know what it is, but my heart knows somehow. I feel an irresistible desire to know what a mystery human is. As to this mystery, clarifying, knowing how to live, knowing how to walk with people, demonstrating and teaching, this is the Buddha. From my human eyes, I feel it's really impossible to become a Buddha, but this I, regarding what the Buddha does, vows to practice, to aspire, to be resolute, and tells me, sometimes, yes, I will. Just practice right here, now, and achieve continuity, endlessly, forever. This is living in vow. Herein is one's peaceful life found. This is a poem about vow. I also found, and this is in, of course, Okumura's words, I also found his original poem in Japanese. When I read it closely, I saw that it is a lucid explanation of the Four Noble Truths. The first stanza expresses the truth of suffering. One believes in despair, one believes in excitement. Whichever is chosen, it does not fit one's heart neatly. This is the reality of our lives, of my life. Sometimes people say you are good, sometimes not good. Each time we are judged, we feel despair or excitement. We live based on opinions, not just other people's, but also our own. When we are successful, I always want to say I, because it sounds just like me. Think, yeah, this is great. When we've had a hard time, we feel small. We may even feel that life is not worth living, like Kyo. This up and down is samsara, the reality of our life that is described as transmigration through the six realms, moment by moment. This is our life as human beings. We always feel somewhat unsatisfied. Quote from the poem, Whichever is chosen, it does not fit one's heart neatly. Happy or sad, there is some dissatisfaction. We feel that there is something unsettled in ourselves and in our way of life. We are moved by others' expectations, by the situation, or even by our own self-image. We can't find a peaceful, steady, absolute foundation for our life. As we move in samsara, we always feel somewhat unsafe, somewhat unsettled. Something is lacking, even if we are in the heavenly realm and all our desires are fulfilled. Of course, if we are in hell, we really suffer. This is our life. So we start to question. That's what brought me here. What's wrong? What's the problem? What causes this feeling of emptiness? We want to understand this feeling. In the second stanza, Katagiri says, being asked what is unfitting, I don't know what it is. Our motivation is to question and understand 
Our motivation to question and understand is called Bodhi mind. Kapagiri writes, my heart knows somehow. I feel an irresistible desire to know here as well. We want to know the real cause of the problem. This is unique to human beings. Maybe creatures with wings. We alone ask who we are and how we should live. Other animals don't have this problem. Dogen Zenji said that, to study the Buddha way is to study the self. I think a human is a being that has to study the self. Other living things do not have to do this. They have no questions. But for us, the self is a big question. We humans are troublesome, mysterious creatures. Creatures with wings, sometimes. We need to understand this mystery, this questioning, this need to understand is our Bodhi mind, a mind that awakens to the reality of our life. Katagiri continues, as to this mystery, clarifying, knowing how to live, knowing how to walk with people, demonstrating and teaching, this is the Buddha. The Buddha understood or clarified this mystery. He saw the answer to this question, what are human beings? What is the cause of human suffering? He awakened and understood how we can live in a wholesome way with peace. The reality that the Buddha found in his enlightenment is interdependent origination. Katagiri's phrase, knowing how to walk with people, refers to this interdependence. It means that we can't live without other people and things. For Buddhists, studying the self means studying how to walk with others. That's why the Buddha emphasized the importance of the Sangha, a place where people live and practice together. Katagiri's comment in the last stanza, from my human eyes, I feel it's really impossible to become a Buddha, reminds us that even though we study the Buddha's teachings, we are still human. The Buddha's achievement is so great that it's almost impossible for us as humans to follow his way. Even so, one vows to practice. Even though we know that it is impossible to follow the Buddha's way, we deeply wish to make it possible. Then Katagiri says he vows to be resolute. Here the Japanese version has keshin, which means to make up one's mind, to be fixed and determined, to keep coming back. Next, he tells himself, he says, he tells himself, yes, I will, even though he feels it's impossible. He cannot help but say this, that vow comes from the deepest part of the self, Intellectually, it seems impossible, but from our deep life force, we can't help but say, yes, I will. That is vow. A vow should not be made by our intellect or 
an emotional impulse. It should come from the deepest part of us. Just practice right here, now. It means that we start practicing immediately. We can't postpone it because the wish is so deep. Somehow we have to start searching for our own self. There is no time to wait. And achieve continuity means to practice continuously. Because it's impossible to achieve what Buddha did, we have to practice forever. <laughs> uh, there is no end, no goal, and yet we take small steps one by one, moment by moment, we try to walk along the Buddha's way. One step, or just half a step, in all situations. Sometimes we're happy because we feel we are good practitioners. And doing the right thing, sometimes sitting in this posture every morning is boring or painful, and yet we do it. In any situation, we try to adopt the attitude Kathagiri describes. <clears throat> Being told that it's impossible, one believes in despair. Is that so? Being told that it's possible, one believes in excitement. That's right. Even in our practice, we need to work with this attitude of up and down. Sometimes sitting in our zazen, we feel great. We feel that we are enlightened. Sometimes we feel we are in hell. In either situation, we just go through it endlessly, forever. Katagiri Roshi said, this is living in vow. It means to sit, to try to help others, to live and work with each other each day of our lives. When we are living in vow, in our emotion, in our human sentiment, there are good times and hard times, like all people in samsara. We are still in the six realms, and yet we can find a peaceful basis, a foundation for our life, which is never moved by human sentiment. That is vow. That is the reality of our life. So, back to Kyo to finish. It isn't my Buddha mind that's taking me, Roshi. It's my human mind, shouted Kyo. I'm going crazy. They are the same, replied Roshi. He handed Kyo a flask of water. Please turn back at midday. Then the next time you can try a different direction. If you continue until night and find no water, you are dead. Kyo shrugged. Please return. So Kyo did. He explored seven vectors, as best he could tell, returning for seven nights with the empty flask and the bag of yeast he always took. Hops. His talisman, his only piece of earth. He also took the piece of color. It was a rich rose, shot through with narrow strokes, streaks of olive green. There's nothing out there, he said, nothing but lava, blue, shiny, glittery lava. I'll just have to go for a whole day. On the eighth day, he took the awkward watering can as well. He lashed a tin, then rolled up sleeping mat to his back and included a good supply of dried noodles, 
which could soak in his drinking water. As usual, he could not interpret the look in Roshi's eyes as they stood on the edge of their little encampment. Remember your bodhisattva, Val. He said, no matter how numberless the beings, I vow to enlighten them all. Make that the source of your every thought and action, Roshi said, then turned away. When they arrived at the cliffs, it took three winged creatures to fly Kyo up, and he was afraid, even then, that they would lose power and plummet back into the sharp lava below. Their wings beat against the air ever more slowly. Relax, he heard. Your stiffness adds to the difficulty. He allowed his fear to be an object, like the cliff face which moved downward with laborious slowness. Their speed increased. Better. Once they reached the lip, others reached down and dragged him up, long digits curled around his upper arms like snakes. As he gained his feet and looked about, he was not particularly surprised to see a group. When they gashoed as a body, he automatically gashoed back. But when he heard, greetings, Roshi, he emphatically shook his head. I am no Roshi, he replied, counting nineteen of them. You have come to teach us your ways. Have you not taken a vow? A vow? Yes, I vow to save all beings, no matter how numberless. Or how strange and inhuman, he added to himself before going on. I am not qualified to do what you wish. If you cannot give us the transmission, we will die. He found that difficult to believe. If humans do not achieve enlightenment, they do not die. Even as he thought it, a part of his mind demurred. Old philosophy questions from college, snippets from the Bible and the sutras thrust themselves forward, a small crowd of dissenters. He sighed. I am very tired. And to finish... Wings were meant for flight, for joy, joyful mind. Hope was gone. Only stark reality was left. That was enough. Koans for his charges appeared in his mind, complete and powerful, precise puzzles which could cause thought to transform the very atoms of those who experienced the solution. Each thought a new pattern in a reformed mind. As days passed and the beer brewed, in waking and in sleep, Kyo's world was filled with light, constant, strong, and insistent, a brilliant power he did not understand and did not even care to. He only knew exactly how to share it. His companions progressed swiftly through his koans, in checking questions which tested each state of individual realization. On the twentieth morning, he found the beer perfect. Kyo readied two bowls next to the most beautiful part of his grotto, where purple and red flowers sprouted from the rocky wall. He sensed excitement outside and smiled. He did not hear footsteps, for bare feet made no sound on the path. Kyo? Kyo turned. Roshi stood in the bright light, gashoed, then straightened. 
Do you have a question? asked Kyo. Only one. Can you save me? Kyo looked straight into Roshi's eyes. An absurd question. Why ask? I only know one thing. I make excellent beer. For a moment, all was still. Light poured over beautiful blue lava. Bands of color wavered in interlocking trapezoidal patterns on the floor of Kyo's pool. Roshi and Kyo burst into laughter like children. Kyo's sides ached. He wiped tears from his face, took a deep breath. He was aware only of light filling the grotto as if it were a pool, permeating them both. Roshi's new wings, as he accepted Kyo's bowl of beer with immense solemnity, caught that pure light and shone. wish for all of you is to find peaceful mind. Hmm. Is there time for questions? Or did I go over? Okay. Wow, amazing. <clears throat>